find a mid ground because it's it's really cool storytelling wise. Just somebody is a fan of long long form storytelling. Well, it's crazy, and I think you know we did get an email where someone was basically like, uh, you know, this has inspired me to want to get into comics or back into comics because it's such an ambitious event sort yeah. of thing. So I, uh, you know, it's it's definitely it's not some sort of obscure elite uh, thing. Yeah. It's everyone should know about it. Um, I, I like this. We're doing the podcast. Let's do this on the podcast. Okay, sorry. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Wednesday, February 25th, and this is issue number 14. We want to get into some, I think, some hot TV debates. I don't know about hot. Some t- TV debating. Hot, hot. hot TV debates? Hot what, TV. what coast are you from this this week? Pack the cat. Um, <laughs> some red hat TV debates, uh, a little bit of news, and then your questions. And then we've got a great segment at the end where Dave is going to wax poetic about Secret Wars. It's, it's a great, this is going to be a great episode. It's we're a great day. Yeah, we're beginning the probing into Secret Wars. Ooh, probing is maybe my least favorite verb. Um, all right. So let's. Wait, we're in be- beginning the incursion. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I like that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Uh, do we want to start with the DC shows or with the Marvel show? I got a text today from my friend Julian, who I bring up a lot, <laughs> that said, you were totally right about Felicity, but I didn't realize it till I heard you say it. And I'm like, yes! Ruining a television show one friend at a time. Um, all right, so the DC shows it is. So we're talking about Arrow versus Flash. Uh, Flash is on a little hiatus. Arrow has, we're, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, so Arrow has one more show at least. If, I don't know if it's going on the same hiatus that Flash is, but, um, <clears throat> oh, it is, because they have a cliffhanger tonight, I guess. Dun, dun, dun. Um, anyway. Maybe this will actually involve the Lazarus pit, like Stephen Amell has promised to what they sidestepped earlier. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know who would come back from the dead at this point, but, you know, the way they did Slade. Oh, I guess we're talking now. Hey. Hey, Flash versus Zero. Uh, Flash ended with Gorilla Grodd, which Dave got really excited about. I got excited about too, because... Well, I got excited about a lot in that episode, but you took so long to watch it, <laughs> I figured the safest thing to do would say Gorilla Grodd, but like, we had the unmasking, we had time travel, and like, so many things on that show are playing into the con- the superhero continuity lover in me, that like, it's definitely more alluring than Arrow at this point. I'm 100% sure I watched it the next day. Too long. <laughs> All right. Um, my case for Arrow is Mark Singer, a.k.a. the Beastmaster. Beastmaster, one of the most important films of my childhood. So when Mark Singer showed up, I freaked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Doug Jones. The news is that Doug Jones of, you know... Um, Hellboy and Pan's of Labyrinth all the fame. Body shapes you love. <laughs> yeah, all those body shapes you love. Uh, that he's been cast as someone called Deathbolt. 
which is, I believe, other than the Flash Arrow crossover, the first time we've had a what they call a metahuman on the show. The first time we've had a metahuman on Arrow. Is that right? So your wish for Arrow to get more comic booky seems to be coming true, and it, your prediction was that if Flash is successful, Arrow would be more comfortable sort of pushing into the superpower territory. And that, yes, that's what's happening. because that makes logical sense. And because now I'm realizing deeper into Arrow Season 3, they're burning through these characters' plots faster than I think they were They were getting used to. Like, it's nice that the show reacts a little bit to audiences, but it's like, I don't know. At, at some point, all these character relationships became so convoluted towards the end of Season 2 that sort of the... Oliver's dead and let's refocus but we'll also close off these things and have a flashback episode that reminds you of the beginning it all got like super tangled and it's going to start feeling like a retread if it hasn't already and so I think a good way to spice that up is would be to go a little bit more comic booky. I kind of disagree uh, especially in this week's episode the island episode which felt very lost of course um, I thought there was very Wrath of Khan or Wrath of Khan sure um, that it well, it felt like a fresh dynamic to me. Like, I, I don't feel like this Thea Oliver dynamic is worn out. I feel like they're finding a fresher angle. And, it, but I mean, this happens in every single superhero show, right? Every Buffy has to eventually reveal herself to every single person around her. And what starts as a secret identity I have to hide from everyone in my life show becomes a everyone around me kind of has superpowers show. That's that's how these shows tend to work, right? Uh, I mean, yes, but I think that the episode very specifically put it in Slade's mouth uh, at the end, where it's like, how many people can you take away before there is no Oliver Queen? It's like, basically, the negative question that it implies is how many people can you add before it's not Oliver Queen? And I think like the show's very aware of that at this point, and I'm interested to see how they resolved it uh, without the show being broadcast and when it was just them in the writer's room becoming aware of this problem. What do you mean? I, I don't quite understand what you mean. Um, uh, it's something that a lot of uh, CW shows, I think, run into in their third their third season, where it's just like you have to, you're, if you're running at a soap pace, a soap plot moves fast enough that like everyone's going to sleep with everyone. I mean, I'm speaking specifically about Gossip Girl, but it gets to a point where you're retreading <laughs> really, you're retreading relationships and relationship beats after they've supposedly been redefined to like tie up another episode. So you get things where it's like that's why I'm really wary about the alcoholism in Arrow. It's been fine thus far, but it's like you get these things that are like a beat where it's like, oh, geez, like this might be a you know accurate portrayal of dealing with addiction but do i want to tune in to you know depress laurel hour every every week and so i think that they're dealing with that and it's been interesting to see flash do the exact same thing but their response is like crazy superhero-ness it's like well then your comparison is so like flawed because they're in their first season they're, everything is fresh of course it is like how can you compare a first season show to a third season show in terms of like freshness of relationship and the way in which you react to things you know like how long is like the iris and um berry stuff going to be interesting to you it's not interesting at all to me and and what i did want to say to you uh i, I kind of tried to talk to you about this off air and since we were having a like cross-communication week i think you took it as as a bad thing but like 
you already, you pointed out to me that Arrow is Batman and Flash is Superman, and I hadn't really realized how Superman Flash is until Iris started working for um, her newspaper, and she has become, like, you know, more so than when she was a blogger, she's become a Lois Lane character. And this concept of her trying to unmask the Flash while flirting with the Flash is so Lois and Clark, The Avengers Superman, and I mean that as a compliment because I really loved that show in the 90s. It's not an insult. Uh, that it's, it's really interesting to me, I think. But I think any show loses steam. Usually you can plow through three seasons and be good. And it's fine if you're saying that Arrow is not as good as it once was. But I don't think you need to, to pull down Arrow in order to build up Flash. I'm I not think- saying I'm pulling down Arrow. I'm saying that the, they're having, a, you know point where i mean even if it was a comic book it would have this problem after a certain number of issues where they're trying to redefine themselves and it's been really rocky and i think the way they're going to pull out because flash has been so successful in its first season with a lot of weirder ideas that like are much the uh the television atmosphere and the way people absorb superhero narratives has changed even since arrow has begun and so now it's time for arrow to sort of pivot the pivoting's been difficult, and I think superpowers is going to help pull them out, which is why I was so surprised when they sidestepped the Lazarus Pit, because I thought that would be like a really subtle way to start being like, there's magic in this world. So it's not that I'm... I, I really enjoyed the last episode of Arrow, and I enjoy that Speedy is now becoming Speedy, um, but... I I think that superpowers is still the way to go because of this weird layering where it's like, now I'm starting to wonder why he didn't recognize China White in the first season if she's still part of the flashback plot. Like, things like that are going to start happening, and that's friend to no one. That was, I, I noticed that too. I agree. Um, okay, so that's our, you know. Everything's good over there, though, in terms of, like, liking TV, because we're about to talk about something that I think we both are slightly more lukewarm on. Yeah, yeah. Go DC true. television. That's true. I mean, so, yeah. They're trying, they're, they're trying things. Uh, so now, and, yeah, and I think we're going to see um, Adam uh, Atom in action tonight. So we'll see. Um, all right. So. The other show we want to talk about really quickly is Agent Carter uh, had its series finale. First series finale, it was, what, eight or ten episodes? And, uh, yeah, we were both pretty not thrilled uh, with the whole thing. Um, our, our friend and colleague, Matt Patches, really loves Agent Carter. And so I kind of wanted to talk to him about it. Maybe we will once he sees the finale. But he was really surprised that I didn't because he thought my knee-jerk feminism would, you know, get me on board even more than he was. But uh, um, even this did not trip my knee-jerk feminist uh, go Peggy Carter reaction. So I like Peggy Carter. I like Haley Atwell. That hasn't changed. But the the structure of the whole show was just, you know, we were we were looking for these hidden things that weren't there. And it's not that we were looking, we were down the wrong path. It's just there was no path. There was just no there there, in 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 my opinion. So. Well, the, all the things that we speculated would be the there were all contained in one post credit scene, which is like, hey, we finished making this and realized we had more. Is it what it felt like? And it's like, at, oh, at this point, it was nailed into our heads so strongly that it was like a mini series, and then it was a mini series, and maybe if it did well enough, and it didn't do well enough. So now I'm wondering, like, did we really complicate this world enough to have justified the existence of the series? 
Like everywhere that they could have, you know, hammered it home, like with a cameo that wasn't that character. I don't want to spoil people. I don't think it's the DVR culture and it's only Wednesday. It was a, can we say that it's a character that we've seen in the movies? Yes. Uh, Well, that's key is that the only cameo from the movie characters that wasn't footage from a movie was sort of a secondary character and it was in this post credit scene. Uh, It ended up, you know, like, even when it had a connection where, like, this female assassin is part of the Black Widow program. That's something they had to tell us in, like, interviews. They never said it. So it's like they went right up to the line of making Agent Carter essential and then pulled back to make it, like, this women can too thing and then have her deal with, you know, basically the fallout of Captain America 1. And it was more of a setup than, like, a self-contained thing that I thought it was going to be because I thought if it was going to be, like, really self-contained, they would go and drop these huge bombs and fill in the gaps that they basically started to fill in in that post credit scene, which would have connected it to the Marvel Universe in a way that would have made it essential. But, like, right now, I this is, like, the first skippable entry of that Marvel's sort of, like, thrown up that I can think of in a long time. You don't think well, Agents of Shield is kind of skippable, skippable too, isn't it? Like you can watch the movies and not know anything about Agents of Shield, and you'll be fine. So maybe they're trying to make the TV. Maybe they don't want to go that extra step and make the TV essential viewing yet. Maybe, but it's like uh, Agent of Shield is even it's like that's why we were expecting more from Agent Carter is because they're so tied to the movies that you know they'll just get handed down entire new plot lines from the films and you're expected as a TV watcher to know that that happened. So it's weird. They well, the movie, yeah, the movies are essential for the TV show, but they're not making the TV show essential for the films. Right. And we talked about earlier that Agent Carter was the different production team. This is Marvel, you know, studios proper because it's a Captain America property, not the, you know, Marvel television. And so you think it would tie in even more, but it, didn't and it's not that i wasn't happy with what i got but i had just been built up by what marvel how marvel usually tells stories they're like this felt like something that should have been on before agents of shield like it it didn't do the cool things that agents of shield does to make it cool or if it did it was so steeped in this weird gender politics story that took place at a time i didn't really understand and i mean i just it bothers me because it's not as if I don't agree with that, like, thesis of, yes, women can too. But you can tell that, you can push that thesis and wrap it in a story that's way more interesting. Like, what well, of Korra the, or something like you, that, you know? And, did you see the one shot that came before yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was fine. And yeah. it did the exact same thing the miniseries did, in which like is not fine. Ten minutes or however long it was, right? Yeah, and it was... Uh, they're thrilling and it was yeah. out and I didn't need to have Howard Stark around. I didn't need to have Jarvis around, even though they were very pleasant. But Jarvis like, was great. I mean, Dominic Cooper, I don't know, just sort of didn't land anywhere for me. None of her fellow agents landed in any significant way for me. Uh, Shia Wiggum, who's a great actor, didn't land in any significant way for me. You know, it's just like Haley Outwell is great. But you, just because you have someone great who does a character very well, plunked in the middle of something, it doesn't work. I mean, that, then that doesn't work. For me, anyway. It just felt really, it felt so cheap. It felt so, just not very interesting. And I'm bummed about that because I wanted to really love it. So, yeah. If non-essential is what it felt like. Yeah. And you, you don't want that from your special miniseries events. Right, exactly. So, uh, you know. 
Too bad, Agent Carter. I mean, and I, I am, you know, yes, the Marvel one shot was probably sufficient, but maybe if, even if they had done this as like a four episode event or, you know, it, well, they it had good actors. Yeah. And they had a story world that I bought into. This is entirely just storytelling execution. But I mean, yeah. like, even the visual effects were amazing for television. And yes, you should put your finale in a plane if you want to have, like, the maximum, you know. <laughs> I totally get all of that. But it's just the storytelling execution of it, they didn't go far enough. You can't just allude to things and then have it be a miniseries because that's a cock tease. And it's horrible. Nobody wants that feeling. And then I was like, I was like, they're not going to do this to me. So even if it's as it's building and it's building... And then we're like, we're about to talk about the poster. So it's like, we know Haley Atwell's on the poster. I'm like, oh, crap. Does this series end with a shot from Avengers Age of Ultron? And then, you know, it didn't. And so it was like right up until the end. I was like, Marvel's not going to do this to me. And then they did it to me. <laughs> Damn it. All right. So that's a good segue. We should talk about the, the Avengers 2 poster that came out this week. Um, that's what you're talking about, right? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I, don't th- I think I missed Agent Carter on that poster Haley atwell's on it uh falcon's on it and danny elfman is on it those are the three names to notice from the poster okay so i didn't know that falcon was on there yes um, Anthony. Mackie, oh, oh you're just saying tweeted. like you're saying her name is on there you can't yes. see her on there right no, no. okay okay, okay. but like, i mean the poster's horrible okay <laughs> see <laughs> uh so people were freaking out about this poster right well, uh, yes. This is the first poster. We got one today of Iron Man. I guarantee you, if you count the Avengers on the first poster, that we will get another character poster every day for the next eight days until whatever <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is suggesting is a surprise, which I almost guarantee you is the final trailer. So okay. that should squash some people's Spider-Man excitement for a while. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Rain on that parade. But here's what I will say about the Avengers 2 posters. So uh, our friend and colleague, Katie Rich, was like, oh, everyone's freaking out about the Avengers 2 poster. I said, oh, I hadn't seen it yet. And then she sent it to me with like a, you know, giant derisive laughter as if it was the worst thing she'd ever seen. So I was bracing myself for the worst thing I'd ever seen. And it clicked and I was like, it just looks like a comic book cover to me. And maybe I'm just, I mean, a movie poster shouldn't look like a comic book cover, but doesn't it just look like a comic book cover to you? Like it doesn't look that bad in terms of character crowding if they were a comic book cover, right? If it were a comic book cover, this which it's not. It, um, okay, this reads more like just a Photoshop collage, less like a comic book cover. The reaction to it was why it's so weird is that like fan posters are better than this. Like I could ask you some basic questions. Listener, pull up the poster. How tall is the Hulk? Is he 70 feet tall? Is he 150 feet tall? What is Quicksilver standing on? Is he standing on something? Is he falling backwards? What is Scarlet Witch standing on? Does Nick Fury have any legs? <laughs> okay, the Nick Fury thing isn't great. Um, yes. And, but, but, and, and the siblings is- are just thrown into the background. And yes, the Hulk is enormous. And yes, Robert Downey Jr. looked like he took a selfie in his backyard and they copy and paste it onto the poster but 
That being said, <laughs> it's uh, still a step forward from the initial Avengers poster, which didn't even have a unified light source, which bugged the <laughs> hell out of me. I like it better than the Captain America 2 poster, which had that like awful Black Widow pose that I really hated. So, Yeah, not good at posters, but yeah. uh, I think like Badass Digest pointed out, it's because they know they don't have to spend the money on a good poster. Like, you're gonna, it's, It could just be a one seat that says, like, you're going to see this. <laughs> Well, La- like, last in posters, first in box office. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting how much the campaign is relying on blue, even though this is going to be like a weird red movie. It's going to be fun. That's a red and blue, right? Uh, yes, but with Scarlet Witch being added and the red accents to yeah. everybody's Super Avengers suits, it's. I think the red accents is what we're well, supposed no, to be noticing. But Black Widow has a has blue accents. Right, she's got like blue well, light on her. Well, she has the blue electric yeah. suit, which is a new power, but her uh, like suit has red accents on it. Okay. Everybody's Avenger, the new Avengers color is sort of red in this movie. Gotcha. Oh yeah, I see. Okay. Um. Well, listener, I hope you enjoyed that exor- exercise of bad Photoshop with Dave Gonzalez. He does this for a living, so you know, he knows where if he speaks. Uh, is there anything else you want to know about Falcon, like the significance of Agent Carter, or Falcon, or or Danny Elfman for that matter? Um, Anthony Mackie tweeted that it was good uh, that it was public and he's like I'm back so we know Falcon's in the movie Haley Atwell is probably in a flashback like we might have discussed and Danny Elfman is on there because he contributes the theme to Spider-Man maybe which is by far the most exciting thing to come oh. out of um, that's great great news um, well he also wrote the theme to the Angley Hulk but I that's least likely to come <laughs> than, uh, you know, Spider- Amazing Spider-Man. But in terms of Marvel characters, those are his two Danny Elfman properties. Interesting. So, that's, you know. That's cool. I love that. I love that that's how you connected that. Um, well, I mean, there's a, like, there's like, just, there's just a post-credit tag in my mind where nothing really happens, but then the rest of the credits has the Spider-Man theme over it and everybody loses their mind and stays through all of the credits. Uh, for this movie that is like two hours and 40 minutes long. No, who leaves before the end of the credits on a Marvel movie anymore? I guess you could leave and just like watch it on your computer later, right? Well, this is also the Avengers 2, so it's like probably a lot of people. This has to play everywhere. Worldwide, this has to make all of the money. All right. So a lot of people are going to be like, what's that crazy theme? Because they probably aren't that familiar with the Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme. So geeks, stick around. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, speaking of Avengers 2, well, we don't know if Captain Marvel is going to show up in Avengers 2, but we did want, want to talk really quickly about casting. Uh, we're not going to go too far into this because it's not like there's any announcement that's been made, but we did have a listener named also named Dave who wrote in to talk about Catherine Winnick, uh, who is a great actress on the TV series Vikings, which everyone who watches that series knows that she's amazing, and she is sort of... Um, Sorry to be, like, ageist about it. She's a younger Katie Sackhoff, basically. She's a formidable, attractive, strong, blonde woman. Uh, and uh, what was I going to say? Oh, and she was asked if she wanted to play Captain Marvel, and she was like, yes. I mean, I, I really wish she had just said, like, no, duh. 
basically. <laughs> like, if you ask anyone, any woman on, any actress on that tier, if they want to play Captain Marvel, they're going to say yes. Uh, but the question I had for you, Dave, is, is I had a big debate with someone over Katie Sackhoff originally, you know, because that's a lot of people's choice for Captain Marvel. A lot of fans who don't know anything about the film business. And, you know, someone that I was arguing with was saying that they would never cast Katie Sackhoff um, cause she's just not the right level. But my question is, do you think that they're going to cast, you know, so then, okay, do we want someone like Emily Blunt, who's m- a movie star or, you know, as close to a movie star as we get these days, uh, or would they cast a Katie Sackhoff or would they cast a Catherine Winnick, who I would argue is even less known than Katie Sackhoff? Like what, le- do you think they're going to go with a TV actor and unknown a sort of like the way that Chris Hemsworth was when he was cast as Thor? Or do you think they're at the point in Avengers where, uh, you know, and, but it's not like Aaron Taylor Johnson or Elizabeth Olsen are that well known, but then again, they don't have to carry their own movie. So w- who do you, what level do you imagine they're going to cast if they end up casting? From? Um, I would say that Catherine Winnick probably has a better chance than Katie Sackhoff or Emily Blunt at this point. Um, why am I saying that? Uh, I feel like Marvel's casting of female heroes thus far is slight and younger, and I think Katie Sackhoff would be out. Uh, Emily Blunt would be good for that, but she's kind of a large star and box office wise doesn't necessarily have the biggest track record so that's maybe why she's still in but because this is a post avengers infinity war movie now uh i think it might have always been but either way it's so far down the line um that if first of all i don't think miss marvel is in avengers 2 anymore uh it's second of all you could build that person in other people's movies uh, as seems to be the new in vogue way of building your superhero teams. And for that, you want somebody that you could lock down. Like I think Margot Robbie said, you know, if I play Harlequin for the next 10 years, which means somewhere in her deal, there's an option where she plays it for the next 10 years. So those are the kind of people that you want to nail down, which I think means, uh, younger Catherine Winnick I would love just because I think she fits the character visually and seems to be able to act but like I said before they seem to be going more slight with their superhero so she might even be a little too butch with her vikingness but butch, you know maybe they'll choose a strong with their vikingness that was great <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I like listening to you dance around that where you're like trying to not be like body shaming in any way of anyone and, and well it's hard I because think you I'm pulled ta- it off I'm talking about like in backdoor Hollywood conversations right. that I imagine them happening that right. they're not using these that terms. That are way all. shittier. Yeah. They're basically <laughs> exactly how you imagine them. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, okay. So that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, it's possible that Katie Sackhoff is both too old and too strong to be this character. And that's sad and pathetic, but true. Also not you a know? huge range. I love her. Not a huge range. Right. And, and, Carol Danvers isn't Starbuck. Right. So, and she you know. should have been Dina Pilgrim, although Dina Pilgrim's black now, which I'm a fan of, but she should have been Dina Pilgrim in Powers. All right. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get to you, Powers. <laughs> okay. And I swear we are going to get to questions eventually. Uh, we have two more quick bits of news. Uh, one was announced today, which is that Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction have signed a two-year overall deal with Universal Television to uh, develop 
TV shows based on their comics. They're starting with Matt Fraction's Sex Criminals, but the door is open to maybe do some of Kelly Sue's uh, properties like Pretty Deadly or Bitch Planet or something like that. Um, or other Fraction properties. Or other Fraction properties. I'm just saying, I like, I prefer her, her to him. And so I'm, I'm way down with her, like, partnering with her husband and helping develop his comic. For Universal Television, that's great. But I, Kelly Sue is one of my favorite authors that I've experienced. And so I really want to see her stuff. I'm actually surprised that they are starting out with, well, I guess I'm not because it's probably a male female thing and I should be happy. But in terms of things that I would uh, want to see, uh, like adapted, I do not want to see Matt Fraction adapted out of comics. When he's good, he's at like a Alan Moore level where it's like, this should be a comic book and nothing else. So, I mean, we'll see. Uh, who? Okay. So you're I, not I'm, excited about this, is what you're saying? No, I am excited, oh. but I'm more on Team U, where, like, I'm more excited that, yeah. you know, this is opening the door for stuff like her stuff. Yeah. Or at least stuff that they're, you know, translating together, because I think Matt Fraction, as a comic book writer, is very good at being just that. Yeah, and I... I... I've talked on the show about how I didn't love sex criminals, but I did. I liked the story. I just had, I didn't love, I didn't respond well to the art. And so that won't be a problem uh, <laughs> on the TV show. So, so I, you know, I really did like the story and the tone and the dialogue. Uh, and I just wish I had liked the art better. So, but I'm excited to see what happens. And yeah, and then this just opens a door to image comics, which, you know, already has the walking dead on television, but, um, you know, a non-Marvel, a non-DC, another non-like superhero property to come out of the comic world, which I think is interesting. And I just think that what they do and what Image Comics promotes, you know, we talk all the time about Saga, like, is the direction that I would love to see comic book television going. That kind of storytelling. Because I'm not knocking, like, The Flash or whatever, but we said we wouldn't talk about this, but when you hear that, like, Superman is going to appear, like, from behind in Supergirl or or whatever the news was this week, that they're casting a body double for Superman who's not going to be a character but show up occasionally in Supergirl, I mean, I that's that's so uninteresting to me, and it's more interesting to me to think about something like Sex Criminals or Pretty Deadly or Bitch Planet, you know? So I'm really excited by this news, basically. It's all still in the early stages. This could never go anywhere. Really, because Universal Television has given them an, an overall deal, but it's not, you know, that's miles away from actually getting a show on television. So, um, and then what was your uh, comic book news that you want to talk about, Dave? Oh, Oni Press is going to be doing an ongoing Invader Zim comic. Invader Zim being the Jordan Vasquez Nickelodeon TV series about a alien invader from a species that judges rank based on height, and he's the shortest, so he gets <laughs> sent to Earth to prepare Earth for the conquering and uh, screws up uh, several times. And um, it was a short-lived Nickelodeon series. I think they had like three seasons. Joan Vasquez was like a uh, slave graphics comic book artist, which are like goth comics, I guess would be the crass way of describing them. But I think I might have talked about uh, uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac before on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, it was really interesting to see him pair up with Nickelodeon because this seemed like very different angles. But Invader Zim was so pleasant for a specific type of humor. So it'll be nice to see that uh, Oni Press is going to do an ongoing series, which will hopefully be good. Apparently, a lot of the TV series uh, creators will be involved, but it, the actual creative team behind the comic hasn't been announced yet. Even I liked Invader Zim. 
So that's how pleasant it was. It was so pleasant. <laughs> and then like really dark for like a few episodes and then it would go back to being pleasant. It was so great. <laughs> it was great. Um, all right. And then last thing, I, I, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on this because I think we could just refer you back to our Spider-Man episode. Uh, but we should address the the non-white Spider-Man rumor that came up this week um, that made Dave kind of frustrated, right? Is frustrated the right word, Dave? Sure, sure. I go into this a little bit on depth in depth at da7e.com <laughs> where my columns go. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a black Spider-Man. I think that Hollywood, as we saw at the Oscars, are, you know, white racist people and... Uh, this, you don't do that to Peter Parker. I'm sad that that's the truth, but I've had nobody explain to me otherwise in a way that makes sense. Well, uh, yeah. I, so these, are, I mean, this is the same as the backroom conversations about the body type of Captain Marvel. It's like, it's a conversation that you know exists, even if you don't believe it. You can say, I can't see them casting a non-white Peter Parker or a non-white or, or you know, a Miles Morales or whatever, because of other people's shitties ideas, not because of my ideas, you know, because we are not white supremacists here, probably because of the idea that these movies aren't profitable, which same sort of thing where it's probably a stupid idea that female led superhero movies aren't profitable. But if you're dealing with people who are dealing with money, they're just looking at, you know, the statistics and that's what it shows. So, I mean, it really is both like it could be racism or it could be profit. And so, therefore, you don't want to call anybody an asshole. But, like, I just don't think it's going to happen. I would love for it to happen. I just really don't think it's going to happen. So, my frustration, piggybacking on your frustration, is that, uh, you know, this is based off, you know, something that one person who is, you know, has a decent track record of knowing insider Hollywood things, but... Uh, something that one person said on a podcast got sort of widely reported and circulated. Uh, I think the number he threw out was 95% sure or something like that, that this is the case. Yeah. Um, what frustrates me is that in the narrative of this now, a bunch of people are excited, you know, so based on what one person said, without any foundation that we know about, a bunch of people are really excited this might happen, and rightly so. I mean, it's an exciting prospect. But then when it doesn't happen... You know, then then there's going to be the backlash. And I'm so, you know, maybe this is sort of, you know, writing on the internet people problems. But, like, I'm just so tired of the cycle of outrage and how, like, there is going to be some sort of outrage about how if you cast a non, uh, a white Peter Parker, you're racist. And it's, uh... Well, I think we would have had that outrage either way. Getting so, people's hopes like... up is different than, like, causing a conversation that needs to happen in order for the next Spider-Man to be black. That's That's a good point. That's a good point. But, like... Last week when they were throwing out, or two weeks ago when we were throwing out white act, young white actors to play Peter Parker, there wasn't as much conversation of, like, uh, another white person. I mean, that happened a little bit, but, like, uh, another white person wasn't a thing. And then, but if it happens now, no matter which talented young white male they cast, it's going to be uh, another white person. I don't want yeah, that. Yeah, and know? that might have been un. I mean, that might have been unavoidable either way. We're talking about Jeff Snyder's Meet the Movie Press podcast, which I do occasionally <laughs> listen to, and I would like to confirm that his Aquaman scoop about his involvement in Justice League a while back is completely accurate. So he does occasionally break news on that podcast. 
I've just never heard anything that makes me think that anyone could be 95% sure that like there's going to be a non-white Peter Parker. I mean, it's going to be Peter Parker, definitely, because you don't want to give up rights to another character to anybody that isn't in dispute. So I just don't see it being a black or Hispanic Peter Parker. I wish we lived in a world where that was a progressive choice that we were capable of making. I don't think we're there yet. Um, okay, so. But Jeff Snyder, man, if you're going to kick up some dust and we all get clicks out of it, I just feel bad for the people that are honestly investing in it. Yeah, but I mean, and that was definitely wasn't his, like he's not the kind of person who would just invent a rumor. So he, no, not he at all. believes it. So he's ninety five percent sure. He's ninety five percent sure. All right. Um, yeah. So this is not throw Jeff Snyder under the bus time. But on the no, record, this is, this I'm I'm making the exact opposite yeah. argument. Yeah, I think like in order for us to actually start having conversations where this isn't a factor, we need to throw up some shit every time this happens. Like every time this happens, this is like on my other podcast, Fighting in the War Room, which you might be listening to, but you should fightinginthewarroom.com. <laughs> I talked about how like outrage internet is, our, you know, body's way of responding to things, our, our electronic ecosystem, where it's like we're gonna get mad at a whole bunch of stuff and most people are going to get the most mad about stuff that actually matters and hopefully the sticky wheel the squeaky wheel gets the grease but like yeah outrage internet has its place we need a black spider-man let's not like the white guy like we didn't like heath ledger until he proves himself on screen that's a fine way to deal with superhero casting is it okay um i just think it's um why? Why spend time getting angry about Heath Ledger when Heath Ledger then turns out to be like why why expel all that energy? Why be angry about Heath Ledger? Why be angry about the woman playing Wonder Woman when we haven't seen what she's going to do with Wonder Woman? You know? Why? Gal Gadot? Yeah. I don't know. And because he was the weird brokeback mountain guy and we should talk more about Heath Ledger and because Gal Gadot looks like a model and why would you cast that with Wonder Woman? Shouldn't we be thinking outside that box? Uh, but like I said, if they come out and they do great performances, nobody will talk about that way again. You don't have to, you know, like die a tragic death for your superhero performance. You just have to do a good performance. Yeah, but I'm saying why, I mean, I agree with you. Like I, when Gal Gadot was cast, if you want to talk about slight versus, you know, Viking Butch or whatever, when Gal Gadot cast as as wonder woman it's like really her okay um but yeah what if she is the best what if she's just great then then will i feel bad for saying her really you know or what's the point in saying her really until i see what she can do you know right i mean like in terms of uh, i but yes it, I'm coming at it from like a comics fan standpoint or like, you know, you go back to 96 and things are not horrible or not great in terms of representation. And then you look at now with stuff like Spider-Gwen launching today and being one of Marvel's biggest selling comics of the year and like basically being a female led book that was willed into existence by fan reaction it's like you deal with it by just, you just keep yelling about it. You have to keep yelling about something like every time that, you know, you read a book like Marvel, the untold story. And they're like, and then we stop listening to like the letters section. You always get to a part a few chapters later where they're like, and then we realized we didn't know what we were doing to ourselves. <laughs> so it's like the being an active community member sometimes involves getting pissed off and I'm always going to be pro activity as long as you're not hurting anyone. Okay. 
Um, Which I like. Actress feelings doesn't count as hurting anyone. I guess. Um, he just skateboarded around the set and did his awesome Joker performance and didn't care. It was he was fine. I yeah, I, I hope so. Um, all right, so we're gonna turn to listener questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh okay so this this is a two-parter really we're gonna read two emails and then we're gonna answer it in one in one fell swoop uh so the first email is from ash and he said i've spent a little time speculating as to how the netflix daredevil series might cross over with the wider mcu it seems like a given that jessica jones will appear and i have strong feelings that scott lang might too given his criminal background and marvel's need to promote the mm film but the person I'd really love to see in the courtroom and on the streets of Marvel's New York is Frank Castle slash the Punisher. What do you think are the chances of these characters appearing and who would you like to see turn up? We have talked about Ant-Man, uh, I think in the context of AKA Jessica Jones on a previous podcast. Uh, but, but so actually this is, this is a Punisher segment. Uh, cause the next <laughs> question is from Phil from Santa Cruz. Uh, and he says, when you ask for listener submissions about superhero slash comic book guilty pleasures, one thing immediately jumped to mind for me, and that is the 2008 movie Punisher, uh, colon, Warzone. I completely understand this is by no means a good movie. However, as a staunch supporter of over-the-top dumb action flicks, I have to give this one some credit. From the moment I saw Frank Castle use a rocket launcher to blow a douchey parkouring gang member out of the air mid-summer salt, I was on board. Granted, the movie never quite matched that moment again, but I still appreciate that it took more crazy, hyper-violent approach to the character than the previous Tom Jane Punisher movie. It should also be noticed that Warzone has the distinction of being the only Marvel movie to date to have a female director. And that's crude. That, that, that director is awesome. I've heard her on podcast. She's great. Do you know hey. her name? Uh, well, I know her name because I talked to her on Twitter a lot. She no. follows me. Lexi Alexander, if you're Lexi listening Alexander. to this, I'll tweet, I'll tweet at you. <laughs> Feel welcome to come on the podcast. Yeah. I heard just her... because we just talked about uh, Schmoes No podcasts and maybe said some <laughs> bad things about rumors they spent. I mean, I love everything you have to say about Punisher Warzone and about female directors. And then especially about yeah. some of the stuff you said about the Sony hack. Yes. Lexi Alexander, come on the Thought Bubble. She she is a rad, rad lady. So, uh, Okay, so Phil's email concludes, do, you, do either of you think the Punisher could have a place in the MCU somewhere down the line? When the Marvel Netflix series were first announced, I immediately thought the Punisher could certainly fit into that format as a more street-level hero. Do you think Frank Castle has any hope of seeing another live-action adaptation, or is his fate sealed due to the fact that Warzone was the lowest-grossing Marvel movie ever? Seriously, it made less than half of what Howard the Duck did at the box office. Uh, I want to say that, you know, we sort of put this guilty pleasure question out on Twitter, and some of my friends from home on Facebook were talking about it, and Punisher kept coming up. I think I think Punisher was the number one guilty pleasure uh, thing I saw. Um, that movie is awesome. Punisher Warzone? Because it is ridiculous. Okay. Uh, and, and violent, uh, uh, which is the two things that you want a comic book Punisher movie to be. <laughs> and I mean, actually, I like Tom Jane, so I, I don't know that I, we want to like, do we want to well, entirely seen, throw that You've seen that Dirty one Laundry, in? right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's, yes, that's Tom Jane. He has a respect for the Punisher. He got to play the Punisher once. It was in a short called Dirty Laundry. John Travolta was never involved. Um, so what are your thoughts on this, Dave? Uh, really good week, Punisher fans. First of all, uh, what Adi Shankar, who did the Punisher Dirty Laundry short and the awesome Venom short, 
uh, did a Power Rangers short this week, so that's yeah. super fun. Uh, it's been causing some trouble. Second, uh, Frank Castle showed up in Spider-Gwen as a police detective, so that's awesome to get an alternate universe Punisher that is actively involved in a Spider-Man story, at least for me. But in terms of Punisher, the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe character, uh, there are Punisher has a proto-script, like I think we talked about uh, last episode, Um, when Marvel has a property, they get a script made just as like a starting point, but it's not something that's necessarily going to be used, Uh, it's just something that could be adapted for like a take on the Punisher. So there has been a Punisher script for a while, I think. Uh, I think they were keeping it around the Blade reboot script wherever they have it because they have both those characters. Um, I would love for those to go to like another level. Like uh, Netflix is like street level, but it's still Netflix. So wouldn't like a pay cable Marvel Max, you know, 21 plus ultra violent Punisher slash Blade vampire series sound like awesome? (laughs) Uh, I think it would. Um, The... One of the executive producers of the Netflix Daredevil show did respond to a fan question on Twitter by saying the character he most wants to include is Punisher, but that was just his want. Uh, I don't think there's been any talk about including him in this first round of four shows. And then um, the Rousseau brothers, while they were talking about Captain America 2, kept bringing up how the same yellow Penske truck showed up twice. One time it sort of saves Nick Fury during the car chase. And uh, the other time it's Agent Sitwell as he's thrown out of the car by the Winter Soldier. And there is a time in the comic book where Frank Castle drives that specific truck. So who knows if that's an Easter egg or if it's just a bullshit thing. But that apparently is hints that Frank Castle's in the MCU said them while Captain America 2 needed more eyeballs. But now it's a global hit and everyone's forgotten. So, uh, yeah, the Punisher's around. Uh, I don't think... Anything is if if Howard the Duck is back, nothing's too tarnished. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. So so I was so interested that Punisher kept coming up for people. Um, and if anyone else wants to write in with their their guilty pleasure and their case, make a case for where you think that that person could fit into the MCU or the or the DC universe or uh, you know yeah it's gonna be hard in the DC universe when they're giving us the sentient gorilla uh, like <laughs> what 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 more what more want you <laughs> wait wait oh I have a quick question about Grodd now that we're like not we're out of the firestorm of like arguing which show is better um yeah mm-hmm. uh do you think because um didn't he who was it who was being I forget who was being tormented by Gorilla Grodd, but wasn't he like, I can hear the voice in my head, that voice in my head? Oh, yeah. So do you think that they're actually not going to have Gorilla Grodd talking? They're going to have the voice... Telepathy? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. Sounds fine to me. Yeah, I think that's just going to be so, such a smart way to do it, because when I was thinking way back at the beginning, when they, you know, teased this in the pilot, when I was trying to imagine how they would do a talking gorilla on television, I just couldn't make it work <laughs> in my head and uh, a lot of people argue with me and think it can work but I think uh, not having him actually move his mouth to talk uh, will go leaps and bounds towards making this a, a uh, convincingly menacing character well I think we got that I think we know that he's established a layer in the sewer so we have yeah. dark with Darkness. top lighting yeah, yeah. and you know they're putting it together to have this you know 
Flash has been pulling off some pretty successful sequences using uh, CGI that I look like they're bigger budgeted than I think they are. So yeah, if they figured out a way to do Gorilla Fights Flash, oh man, that's going to be awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the next question, which is from Andrew. Uh, and he says, I remember a few episodes ago, Dave was talking about how in Avengers Age of Ultron, there will be a relationship between Natasha and Bruce, aka Black Widow and the Hulk. I'm not sure where you're getting this information from, but I think it's a really bad idea. Uh, and then Andrew goes on to say that he really liked the way that Black Widow was portrayed. Uh, just basically for a couple things. Scarlett Johansson is so sexy, right? That people are forever in every movie that she's been in for Marvel so far sort of tried to link her romantically with someone, be it Hawkeye, be it Captain America, be it Tony Stark, whatever. And that's true. That is just very true. Um, but I like Andrew's point, which is that she had this really interesting, surprisingly bro-y role to play in um, Captain America 2, which I loved, which is her act, yeah, acting like Steve's bro and trying to hook him up with a lady. Uh, you know, yeah, they do have that sort of, let's disguise ourselves in the mall by kissing each other moment. But, and, and there was, um, an energy between them, but I just, I, I think Scarlett Johansson would have energy with a vending machine. So, and I think she does in this movie. Um, but, uh, yeah. So the question being, were you thrown off by that, how good that vending machine joke was? It was so good. (laughs) I was like, Oh shit, there was a vending machine in that movie. Yeah. She was really good with it. There was that whole gum thing. Good job, Joanna. And then, yes, I also forgot what question you were asking. <laughs> so the point being, do we really want to see Natasha, you know, and and Bruce have a relationship? Isn't it kind of nice to have Scarlett Johansson in this non, you know, yes, she's sexualized, definitely, but in this non sort of love interest role? Uh, do, you know, are we afraid of her becoming a, a damsel character in the Marvel Universe? Uh, and Dave, what is your answer for that? Uh, do I just uh, I just say the, my answer? This is okay outside of what our non-spoiler section is. Um, I mean, do, I, think are we can, I think you can couch it as a hypothetical, even though you know facts. Well, I guess it's too late once I say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, let's. Say this. Okay, okay, yeah, I could do this. I could do this without spoiling Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Joss Whedon uh in these team movies and Firefly and anything he's directed on on film is all about the dynamics within a large group of people. And in order to have that, you need to have characters' outer problems sort of reflect their inner problems. So for someone like Bruce Banner, who's so scared of himself hulking out uh, to the point where we saw in The Incredible Hulk, which is canon, that uh, he was unable to uh, mate with Betty because it raises his heart rate. Uh, What you have is some sort of uh, relationship that is based on each other understanding vulnerability. And I think that Black Widow, as we saw in Agent Carter, might have a similar past that would make her very... Um, copacetic to a vulnerability-based relationship that had no intimacy. And I think that Joss Whedon, because he's good at this sort of relationship, is going to find a good way to address it that doesn't damsel her and that won't disappoint this listener and uh, will move on and just get all the good story parts. Nice. Great answer. Um, and I did want to say we, we took this out of the news segment, but 
this speaks a bit to how Joss Whedon addressed that Hank Pym is technically the creator of um, Ultron in, in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of the Oedipal relationship between Hank Pym and Ultron is, is a big part of that story. And so to change that to be about Tony Stark has some purists upset. But Joss Whedon makes a good point about the, the larger story being served, which is that we have this relationship between Bruce and Tony and this idea of... I mean, it's just the pieces are all there. The translation from Hank Pym to Tony Stark is all there. And it makes so much more sense to work with the character elements you already have in place rather than introduce a whole new character to play a role. So, I I mean, I, I just think that Joss Whedon, you know, as you alluded to, is always thinking about how to knit together characteristics we already have in place to serve the larger plot. Yeah, and in ways that we will understand without necessarily having to know where these characters were everywhere. Yeah, because he's a character-driven storyteller. One of my favorite things that I'm sure this listener will enjoy in Winter Soldier, uh, Black Widow occasionally is wearing a gold arrow necklace. Right. Which goes to show her heart goes wherever it wants. Because that's that's supposed to mean she's going to study with Hawkeye? Is Is that your point? I just think they're still very special to each other. Yeah. I don't think I think you could have these multiple relationships and still have the broy thing you're talking about. Yeah. Because I think that's all of Black Widow's relationships are basically non-sexual because we're not talking about movies they're going to stop for a Scarlett Johansson sex scene, thank God. <laughs> you get plenty of that elsewhere, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So this is our last question and then this is going to segue into Dave Doing us all a huge service and talking about Secret Wars. Oh, oh, oh gotta open some tabs. <laughs> uh, I will read this email from Julia slowly while you open tabs. Uh, Julia says, hi, guys. So I always liked superheroes, but only had casual involvement with actually reading comics. I used to read some Spider-Man when I was younger, and I read the Civil War comics and some random stragglers. So now that I hear that Marvel is doing this big event, I decided to get back into it. But of course, I'm totally lost. And there's so many different individual and team of comics that even if I wanted to get back into some back issues, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get them all, of course. So my question is, what do you think are the essentials? To get some backstory in this event that is going to happen. Is it even doable? Also, I really love the podcast. You guys are great. I don't usually read those segments, but I was giving Dave more time to open tabs. Um, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Are you ready? Okay. Well, here's what I want to say. I think Dave actually ghost wrote this email because he's been wanting to talk about Secret Wars. It's basically the question he's been waiting for, which is someone to ask him what to read. Dave has been doing some heavy, heavy lifting. And this is the first of many conversations we're going to have about this event. Uh, but, you know, Dave is pulling together reading lists. He's basically just doing a huge public service, not just because he's a kind, giving, caring person, but because he has an obsessive nature. So I think he's trying I've to... I've also found a community doing engage with... <laughs> And people who are telling me more comics to read, and I've been not updating the Goodreads with my, because I'm making you all wait in suspense. All right, so this is where I'm going to let the leash off, but Dave told me that I was supposed to cut in when he was getting too uh, inscrutable. So This is just going to be a primer. I'm going to okay. try to be, I'm going to play to you since I can't, I can't play the listeners with, and still get reactions. Okay. All I'm, right. I'm ready. So coming up is Secret Wars this summer. Uh, I think we're like two, three weeks out uh, in which the entire Marvel multiverse will be slammed together into one world 
erasing all the continuity that came before it and proceeding forward with a new continuity that they're going to get to sort of make up by the pieces of all these multiverse worlds. Uh, this is going to do things like bring very popular characters back into existence or into existence. For you, those of you who don't know, Wolverine is dead in Marvel Comics. This is almost certainly how he's going to come back. The Black Spider-Man, Miles Morales, looks like he's going to join the main universe. And they're ending their Ultimate Universe, which they started in the early 2000s, as sort of an update to get rid of the continuity-heavy Avengers that were going on at the time. So they're cher- we've talked about this before. Um, but I'm just going to ask you clarifying questions along the way. So they're cherry picking the best of all these multiple universes and storylines that they have going to Mm -hmm. coalesce into one universe that we can follow as readers. Correct. Okay. I mean, that that's as well as I could tell that's what's happening. You could, there's a Marvel official secret wars site that I will link to in the notes, but in that they have an interactive map of battle world and they're slowly uh, bringing in these different, Oh, oh oop, I skipped right to the battle world. Rewind. Huh? The title <laughs> secret wars is based on this other previously existing property called secret wars. I think we talked about that was mostly made to motivate toys in which this character called the beyonder slammed all of Marvel's heroes and villains onto one battle world where they had to fight each other. This time the battle world's going to be made up of different alternate universes. If you go to the Marvel link that I'll link to in the show notes, they have an interactive battle world map and over the ones that have been revealed, they will actually show the comic book line from Marvel's past that they're based on. So if you want to just go into battle world and not know why it happened, but get an idea of like, which Spider-Man is that? Why does Hulk have a beard? Things like that. The Marvel map will point you to things like the 1602 land and, you know, you get to real, read Neil Gaiman's 1602 or the Armor Wars, Iron Man land, or, you know, the future imperfect Hulk land or the old man Logan land. These all sound weird, but they're all based on previous Marvel events. So those are good places to start if you just want to have a casual relationship. Actually, what's been happening is the Secret Wars crossover is written by a uh, guy named Jonathan Hickman, who started working for Marvel in on uh, Secret Warriors, not related to Secret Wars, in uh, 2009, I want to say. But earlier on, uh, he's been building this very complex story that uh, is mostly taking place in the Avengers and New Avengers um, arcs of how all the different universes that have ever been represented in Marvel Comics are collapsing on each other, and it's called incursions, which is why I picked that word at the top (laughs) of the podcast. Uh Uh, Incursions are where two worlds collide, and one world has to be... Either they both die, or one world has to be destroyed in order to save the other worlds. The Illuminati, which is a pair of Marvel heroes like Mr. Fantastic, Black Bolt, Black Panther, Iron Man, Beast... Hulk, basically like the smartest people, have figured this problem out years ago and have been going around killing worlds, which the Avengers, now led by Captain America, have figured out and are not happy about. But no one can stop it, and we're still unsure what has caused 
this collapse of the multiverse as all of Marvel's previous continuity collapses on itself. Uh, but there have been a lot of different books. There have been Spider-Verse, which recently concluded, which had different universes. There was all-new X-Men a while back. Uh, there was Avengers Age of Ultron, not the movie, but the comic book line, which actually shattered the timeline into pieces. But as I've been reading, I've been sort of tracing these threads back, trying to figure out where this whole story started. Um, there will be a collected trade paperback once Secret Wars starts. It's called Secret Wars Prelude that will be released. Um, that oh, will nice. give people a really quick uh, primer. But... That includes issues from the first Secret Wars and the second Secret Wars, so that would go back decades, and I'm not sure how essential all those things are yet. If you want to jump on immediately and just do this like build to Secret Wars with everybody week to week, I think you have three more weeks. Uh, you get the trade paperback called Time Runs Out. There's Time Runs Out uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and that collects Avengers and New Avengers in the correct order and that will lead up to Avengers and new Avengers, which are now alternating in order. If you, if you want to read them in order, so they'll pass the story off to an actual whole nother book. Uh, every other issue. Yeah. I will, um, post the time runs out individual reading list also with this episode. Uh, if you guys want to do that, it is, it starts with, hold on. I think it starts around New Avengers 24. Yeah, I'll figure it out. At some point in the story, there's a time jump eight months later. Time runs out, takes place at the beginning of that time jump. So you're going to feel disoriented at the beginning of it, but so did all of us when we did it. So I think that's a good place to jump on if you (laughs) want to read the minimum amount of Preludes to Secret Wars. But depending on who Rabu Malal is, people who are actually reading... It might go back several years, and I will cover that when that's revealed, certainly. Interesting. Um, Okay, so, I mean, it makes sense because it's in Marvel's best interest to make this event accessible (laughs) to people, right? Not so daunting that they wouldn't want to get into it. So time runs out seems like a good solution there for Julia and people like her. Um, And we've had this argument before, (laughs) but... You know, my my comic book ignorant theory is that they're condensing down to one continuity, one universe to bring their whole brand in line, uh, TV, film and comic book and make it just one thing, one thread for you to follow. Uh, Dave disagrees with me on that, but that's my theory that it's a branding thing. I mean, it would be great, but I think it's more about comics once again, giving you another jump on point like they should because they run into the arrow problem. There you go. It's such a sketch. Yep. Right. And um, this time we get a, we get a black Spider-Man. There you go. Um, okay. And we forgot to talk about this, but we should mention really quickly. You're done talking about secret wars. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. For a four for now. now, stay tuned. Same bad time. Same bad channel. Um, the agents of shield promo. Uh, yeah. where they said they were in humans. I mean, I, that's just something that we should mention because we've talked, we talked about it so much leading up to the reveal of the Daisy character. Dave was so early on the boat about inhumans in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so I hope that felt vindicating for you. I mean, we knew it was coming, but still, just to hear it must have been nice, right? 
Yeah, I mean, now I'm invested in the long game because the Inhuman movies just got pushed back, so figure out what to do with this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You don't want to ruin a whole franchise because <laughs> you can't handle Sky Quake. Sky Quake. <laughs> Sky Quake. Sky Quake. It's like Skyfall, but no. Oh, I keep thinking about the Patton Oswalt Sky Cake. Oh, bit. Sky Cake. <laughs> no. I've tweeted at him several times, be like, please do Sky Quake. <laughs> That's he so has funny. not. He's not responded? How weird. How odd. Um, just take one little MP3 <laughs> and it would be my ringtone forever. Um, Judy, Julie Andrews saying, Dear Lady Gaga is my text tone right now. It makes me very happy. So. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about? Uh, no. That seemed, that seemed like a lot. It's so much. We covered so much. Um... I want to say that we hear you, people who don't watch the Marvel or DC television shows and get a little bored with us talking about it. Uh, we're probably always going to talk about it, though. So hopefully you can just fast forward through those sec- sections to get to things that uh, you're more interested in. But that's, I mean, we're never not going to be... Well, if they're more interested in comics, then they just know how it felt like to be catered to and the other people felt in reverse. Uh, yeah, that's true. You've got a whole Juicy Secret Wars segment, and it'll be the first of many. Oh, man. <laughs> it's going to be so great. <laughs> Unless it's going to be so horrible. They, they, uh, it was so weird today, like, comics were released, and then, like, so the, the, new, the new Avengers that was released today, Hank Pym basically uh, went through, like, a H.P. Lovecraft reckoning with seeing the infinite, where like it's some uh, some celestials were killed in the Marvel universe, and it's just like one issue of a comic has was so big, just like metaphysically and Marvel mythology wise, and oh man, it is a good time to be a Marvel fan alive. <laughs> unless Battle World ends up being really stupid. Oh man. Uh- oh. <laughs> There's yeah, a whole I, other. There's a. There's going to be a whole comic book about a biplane fighter fighting dinosaurs. But I mean, at some point, the the Marvel bubble is going to burst, right? Like, and that's terrifies me because it's just swelling. It's just like getting engorged, and I'm so scared of when. You know, I'm not saying like the whole thing is going to collapse, but it can't. You cannot be on top forever. You can't, right? Um. I don't know. It depends. Trends have to swing, right? Once Disney bought Marvel, it became one of those things where it's like, eventually there's going to be one company. <laughs> you know, like that, that oh, obviously there won't actually be one Veri- company. But... Verizon, Chipotle, Exxon, or whatever it yeah. is on Parks and Recreation. Yeah. It's like, it's more likely at this point that like, if the entire comics medium goes under, Marvel just becomes like all superhero movie that like... Uh, but in terms of comics, what they don't want to go for is like the new 52 launch where people were like, eh, that's a lot of books. Not a lot of them are good. Mm-hmm. And like they want a huge resurgence. They would love another, uh, you know, com- they, they would love another X-Men number one. Uh, comics don't sell like that. Uh, but, you know, th- this is every apparently this has been something that has been in the works for a while from both Jonathan Hickman and Brian Michael Bendis from a storytelling standpoint. Mm -hmm. So at least we know it's not motivated by something like 
Crisis on Infinite Earths, where it's like, how oh, oh, this is too big of a mess. Let's smash it all together. This looks like it could have a greater purpose, and that's what you got to hope for. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, then that, I think, wraps it up for this week. Dave, where can people find your work? Uh, you could find me at Forbes.com and Latino-Review.com and FightingInTheWarroom.com and this podcast at Batman v Superman <laughs> Uh, my name is Joanna Robinson. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can find me talking about Game of Thrones on A Cast of Kings or A Storm of Spoilers. Oh, uh, it's back. They're all back. Coming back. back. Coming back. It's so much. We're, Dave and I are going to have to juggle our schedules a little bit because once Game of Thrones hits, it's going to be... Either you're getting my 100% of Game of Thrones with King, <laughs> or you're getting my 100% of Secret Wars. It's, it's going yeah. to be tough. Can't be both. It can't be all things. Uh, and you can hear me talking about television on the station agents. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please do email us at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Find all of our episodes at uh, the place that Dave said, or also findingthewarm.com. <laughs> or also findingthewarm.com slash comics. Uh, and we will see you next week. Bye. Any possibility Elfman could be scoring one of the new films like Doctor Strange? Oh, I didn't think about that. Why would he be on the Avengers 2 poster? For the same reason, like, if it's not the Spider-Man theme, it's like Benedict Cumberbatch steps, steps in and we hear the Doctor Strange theme. Um, oh my god. Whatever it is, it's going to be a Danny Elfman song. I would. Sometimes I wish that trolling on movies this big happened where it was like Johnny Depp in his uh, Edward Scissorhands <laughs> costume oh my god what else what else uh... anything Danny, Danny Elfman yeah Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs>